Before we get to the podcast this week, did you know that Pit Stop USA offers a huge selection of parts and the very best selection of racing safety equipment that you will find anywhere, all at low everyday prices? Visit them today at Pit Stop USA. Pit Stop USA, live like legends. I also wanted to give some love to two companies that not only mean a lot to Dirt on Dirt and Flow Racing, but mean a lot to me personally. First, Kaiser Manufacturing who I think an argument could be made is one of the best companies, and I mean this, in all of short track racing. Also, FK Rod Ends, who again, isn't only wildly successful because of their product, but wildly successful because of Maria and her entire team. I say this sometimes to people, and I really mean it. There are not many folks in the industry that I quote, trust with my life, but Scott Kaiser and Kaiser Manufacturing and Integra Shocks along with them and Maria Melillo and FK Rodins, those two are very firmly on that short list. So if you've ever asked yourself, should I do business with these companies, Kaiser, Integra, FK? The answer, without even thinking about it, should be yes. Kaiser and FK are as good as it gets. One final thing. Don't forget, if you're a Dirt on Dirt subscriber, you have full access to Flow Racing as well. That's over a 1,000 live events all the amazing content from the Chili Bowl to the World 100 and so much more. Did you see we added the Short Track Super Series this week, the Big Block Modified Tour up in the Northeast? Very excited about that. You get everything for one $150 price tag and access to both websites. That is as good of a deal in all of short track racing. DOD and Flow, it's a match made in heaven. Let's go. And most importantly, welcome to DirtOnDirt.com. If you're going to do 20-plus Rigsby Report podcasts in one year, as I promised back in December, it was time to get back to work. January and February, always spent on the road for me, Arizona and Florida, but we are back now. It's March, and we're back, I'd say, in a pretty big way. Is is Kenny Wallace, yes, that Kenny Wallace, joins me for a really awesome and, and I think unique interview. We all know Kenny is is a great talker. He's fantastic behind the mic, and he's a personality that's really in short track racing pretty unrivaled in our industry, but there were a lot of things that I think people had not asked him that I wanted to. I think so many times when he's really been interviewed, it's from a NASCAR perspective or from someone who has more of a NASCAR background, and the dirt track stuff is a little more cursory in that. Obviously, we're not doing that here. It's it's almost the exact opposite. And I think our audience, our core audience, is really going to appreciate that and appreciate what he had to say. I really hit him with some in-depth stuff. And as I suspected he would, uh, he really did hit it out of the park. I think you're going to enjoy this interview with him. A, qu- a quick story first. The year was 2001, and it was well after midnight. I was at Eldora, and I was hungry. And it was on a Thursday and I was walking around the concourse, that upper grandstand area there. Now, keep in mind, there was no racing on Thursday back then. Uh, that's a newer thing, the racing on Thursday at Eldora. But I was starving. I had driven into Rossburg, Ohio late that night, and I was hoping maybe something would be open at the concession stand. I got up there. Concession stand was not open. I was with a buddy, and I just out loud, I said, I would kill for an Eldora hot dog right now. I just said it out loud. 
literally within about 10 seconds, the door to the concession stand opened and out popped Bernice Baltus. And in her sweet way that only she could do, she said to me, honey, are you hungry? And I'm not joking when I say this. It was like an angel descending from the heavens. She didn't give me one hot dog. She gave me two hot dogs. She gave me a regular Coke and a box of popcorn. I didn't stay that long. We only talked for about five or 10 minutes, but I always felt that she reminded me so much of my grandmother, Edwina, both just super kind souls. And I will never forget that night. The first lady of Eldora heard me say out loud through the wall, I'd kill for a hot dog. And she literally, in essence, let me into her home, which was the concession stand, and gave me one. Gave me two, actually. And when you really think about it, that's what her and Earl were always doing. As I said in the 2019 home video that I did previewing the World 100, it was home. Eldora was home. And they were always letting the racing world into their home. I meant it kind of figuratively when I was talking about it in that Eldora piece, But in this case, with this night in Bernice in 2001, it was actually very literal. She opened her door and let me into her home. Of course, I I say all of this because Bernice passed away last week, and we all know Earl deserves so much of the credit for creating what is now Eldora. He couldn't have done it, though, without her. And I wanted to say a personal thanks to Bernice Baltus for everything she did through the many decades of her work at Eldora and to the Baltus family for their lasting legacy. Bernice, I will always remember that night in September 20 years ago. I know the racing world will always remember you very fondly. Uh, Just a story I thought that I had to tell. Now let's get to it. Kenny Wallace. I am a huge numbers guy, and I love to keep tabs on the interviews that I've done over the years. For instance, Scott Bloomquist and Billy Moyer, I have interviewed each one of them over 200 times in my career. But despite the fact that my guest today is one of the most prevalent human beings in all of motorsports, not only in the actual media, but on social media, of course, as well, I have never interviewed him. And for that reason alone, he made the perfect guest for the Rigsby Report to kick off my 2021 interviews. Kenny Wallace joins me now on the Integra Shocks and Springs Hotline. And Kenny, I have a personal note for you before we get going with this interview. It was December 26th of 2019, the day after Christmas. And I had actually had a pretty crappy day the day after Christmas. Some work stuff had happened. I had a a kind of a shitty day, to be honest with you. But you tweeted at me personally that day. And I had a feeling you were just sitting around post-holidays looking at stuff. And you said, at MFR Dirt on Dirt, you had great vision for Dirt on Dirt. And you definitely made dirt racing way better and way, way, way more famous. You should be in the Hall of Fame for people that changed dirt racing. Dirt teams are more valuable because of what you did with Dirt on Dirt. I have never properly thanked you for that. And I had a terribly shitty day that day, and you made it a lot better. So I'm over a year late, Kenny, but I wanted to tell you thank you for that tweet from December 26, 2019. (laughs) Well, you're welcome. And, you know, I am guilty of being a good guy, and I'm guilty of being a bad guy. And, uh, you know, I remember when you brought dirt racing to prevalence. In other words, Years ago, you know, we heard of the World 100, the dream at Eldora, but, you know, it was more like, you know, you you didn't know much about it. You know, we had to hear about those big events, word of mouth. And what you did was you brought dirt racing, you know, 
to the forefront. And uh, I, I, tr- I truly believe that uh, there's no doubt in my mind, if we were to use, you know, a percentage, let's say from zero to hundred, let's say dirt racing was, you know, 30% popular. I feel like you brought it, you know, up to 70% for sure, Be- because of what you created, everybody has copied you now. You're an innovator. You're an innovator. And, and I think you're awesome. Well, I appreciate that very much. That means a lot. It really did. It's weird. I, I was having such a shitty day when I looked at the date. I'm like, yeah, it's a day after Christmas. I really shouldn't have been having a bad day, but we'd already were back to work and I was having some stuff go on. So I wanted to tell you thank you for that. But before we get too far into this interview, I'm going to hit you with a lot in about the next 30 to 40 minutes. But I wanted to start with this question, and I think you're going to like it. If you could only tell one Ken Schrader story the rest of your life, what Ken Schrader story would that be? (laughs) Oh, Lord. You know, the problem with that is there is so many of them. I know. You You know, Kenny's full of wisdom. You know, all my stories about Schrader are not crazy, you know, beer drinking ones, you know, uh, Kenny, you know, has been, uh, you know, a tutor, you know, for me, because, you know, I didn't start out racing on dirt. You know, everybody knows my story. Yeah. I'm a late, I'm a late bloomer. You know, I started dirt racing at, at 41, uh, years old. Uh, but you know, I really, honestly, you know, there, there's just not one great, Kenny Schrader story. All I can tell you is this is uh he's been good to me my whole life and he's taught me how to race dirt. Uh he's also taught me how to deal with you know situations as far as you know the the, the one that is the best it, well not the best for you all but uh, <laughs> you, you you know but for me you know I'm I'm working on my, my race car all the time. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always putting tear offs on and, and I'm like, man, these kids nowadays, they can just look right through a, a really junky shield. And I, you know, I need a cleaner shield. And, <laughs> and, 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 and he said, he says, well, yeah, uh, I, I forgot to tell you that the older you get, the more you have to see. <laughs> and, you know, and I'll never forget. I'm at Kankakee during the summer national race. And I watched the great Billy Moyer come off the track, you know, with, with glasses on yeah. and he just got, you know, he just got done winning the a main, you know, this is like four years ago. And, uh, uh, but Schrader gives me shortcuts, you know, uh, in dirt racing, so many of them. And, uh, so yeah, I really appreciate him for for tutoring me and and getting me up to speed in dirt racing. I mentioned in the open before I got you on the air that you've obviously been interviewed more times than you can count, but I'd like to think I'm going to be the first person that's really interviewed you from a true dirt track perspective through the eyes of someone who's born and raised around dirt track racing. I built my life around dirt track racing. I built an industry around dirt track racing. So this question, I'm kind of asking it from that perspective. It seems to me that NASCAR and dirt track racing continue to grow closer together. The canyon that used to exist between them is closer than it's ever been now. Am I right about that? And if so, why is that? Is it you? Are you part of that? Which I really think you are. Is it Kyle Larson? Is it, is it been happening for years and we just didn't know it? Why is that, Kenny? I think that that canyon is getting closer between these two things. I agree 100%, and that's great observation. So we have to go back, you know, 15 years ago. Um, NASCAR, 
15 to 20 years ago, NASCAR decided to take a different avenue. You know, let's, let's just put it like this. Uh, NASCAR decided to, to leave Leonard Skinner. You know, yeah. they decided to leave the South. And they were going New York. They were going Hollywood. And it was one of the biggest mistakes that NASCAR has ever made. And, you know, Steve Phelps, who runs NASCAR, came out about three months ago and said, we made a mistake. We're trying to make it right. And lo and behold, you know, here comes, you know, Kyle Larson. Here comes Christopher Bell. And in the meanwhile, you've got Kenny Schrader, you know, Tony Stewart, myself, Clint Boyer, you know, who owns, you know, a super dirt late model team. And, you know, I really feel like that, you know, the bridge has been gapped a lot. Now, I'm still working on a lot of these dirt fans that just hate NASCAR, hate it, and they don't even know why they hate it. They just, they hate it because they think it's cool. And it's not because I can promise you that any good dirt racer, they dream of being NASCAR. Yeah. Uh, and we, listen, when NASCAR does good, so does dirt. And, yeah. and that's a fact, man. That's just a fact. So yes, you're right. It's getting better. You know, you didn't start in dirt until like you said, 06, 07, you were 41, as you mentioned, you know, I think we all think of you as a Wallace, right? You're part of this tried and true NASCAR family. So you've spent a lot of time in NASCAR garages. And I think you touched on it with the Leonard Skinner line a little bit, but you know, in those NASCAR garages, you're nothing if not honest. I want you to be honest about this. W was was dirt racing talked down about, right? Back in that early era of NASCAR when you were getting into it, were, was, did it have a stigma about dirt track racing where people were like, ugh, dirt track racing? Did that, was that happening? No, it never was. That is, a, that, is a, that is fictitious. Dirt racing was never talked down upon in that NASCAR garage area. Actually, it's the opposite. Okay. So, I, you know, I tell true stories. That's why it's easy for me to get my point across. So I'll tell you a true story. We were at a driver's introduction at a NASCAR race. And Kenny Schrader was talking about, you know, owning I-55 Speedway. And, you know, Tony Stewart, you know, talking about Eldora, you know, about Earl Baltus wanting to sell it and Tony maybe buy it. And at that point, uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. wanted to be part of it. He's like, well, let me in on this dirt racing. I want to be part of it. So Dale Jr. Uh, bought in to Paducah, the Paducah dirt track. And, you know, everybody wanted to be part of dirt racing. So inside the NASCAR garage area, you know, a lot of people came from dirt racing. You know, they just did. They were dirt racers. So this whole stigma that NASCAR hates dirt, NASCAR's dumb, you know, we hate dirt racing. You know, it was this back and forth banter. I'm like, where did this come from? And I really believe it came from this fictitious place that when NASCAR told all the dirt fans that, hey, the prices are going to go up at the asphalt tracks like nascar see a lot a lot of the dirt fans used to go to the nascar race oh, yeah yeah so so that made all the dirt racing fans mad it made the dirt racing fans feel like why is nascar taking our tickets away from us we can't afford this and that's where i really feel like that happened
that's my that's my take take on that. And you know, you're probably it was probably us as dirt track people projecting that a little bit. I think you're right. I think we thought for sure those Wallaces and those Earnharts, they're in the garage and they're talking shit about us. That probably just it was something I think we created in our mind. I think you're right about that. Well, l- let me say this. Texas Motor Speedway, Bristol Motor Speedway, they did no good because here's what they did. And and this is a single situation that I remember really pissing the dirt racing fans off. All the dirt racing fans used to go to Texas Motor Speedway or Charlotte or Bristol. Well, instead of being able to buy one ticket to the cup race on a Sunday, those racetracks got too fancy and they said okay you now you have to buy a ticket for friday saturday and sunday and you got to buy it at one time so instead of spending instead of spending eighty dollars on a ticket you have to spend three hundred dollars and i i specifically remember that time in dirt racing and man that's when the dirt racing fans started upheaval and that's that's when i heard nascar don't care about us They've left the South. They left North Wilkesboro. They left Rockingham. Yeah. Uh, and that's when I remember, you know, it going bad. And, you know, let's face it, you know, not everybody can afford $300 on a weekend, but they could afford 100 you Yeah. Know? You know, I, I mentioned yeah. your I mentioned your family. I know your brother Mike ran some dirt. Your your dad Russ ran some dirt. And you guys, as a family, spent a lot of time with the Gundakers, right? Another very famous racing family in St. Louis. I know you're close personally with them now. I don't think I really appreciated how close you guys were as a group, though, until I really dove in when I talked to Kevin for this interview this week. KG told me a story, Kenny, the night of his first wedding that Rusty and Mike brought his car to race at Granite City. <laughs> Kevin showed up in his tuxedo. His wife was in her wedding dress so they could race. The point of the story being the Wallaces and the Gundakers were pretty close. Uh, how close were you with, with the Gundakers back in the day? Because I don't think people really appreciate that connection's pretty deep. So, yeah. Uh, you know, and that's one thing that hurts the sport a little bit is, you know, we need to spread more knowledge more truth in dirt racing so the gundakers are like family to us uh when kevin gundaker wanted to be a race car driver he didn't have a shop so we allowed kevin gundaker to bring his dirt car and we had a you know a one and a half car garage but it had a basement in it right yeah yeah. so you you would you would drive behind our shop and kind of go down a hill so kevin's dirt car at that time, it was number 12, not number 11. And Kevin's dirt car was in our basement. Uh, my brother, Rusty, and Kevin Gundaker are some of the best fabricators in the United States. Yeah. So my brother, Rusty, and, and Kevin, you know, we would build our own race cars from the ground up on the concrete floor. You know, we bent the tubing. We welded the cars together. Uh, at that time, it was leaf spring dirt cars. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, you know, we are extremely good friends. We really appreciate each other's history. And, you know, when the Gundakers decided, you know, to purchase uh, Tri-City Speedway in Granite City, Illinois, uh, that was a big deal for us because, uh, you know, we're like, wow, you know, Kevin's retired. He's a Hall of Famer and super late models. And, you know, Kevin's retired from, you know, super late model and he's buying a track and, 
you know, then then come along Gordy and Trevor and the whole family. So, <laughs> yes, we're we're probably as close to the Gundakers as anybody. You know, you've made the comment when you started racing in dirt. You're 41. That's pretty well documented. But I've heard you say before, and I think you said this on Dale Jr.'s podcast, how bad you were. But I don't know that anyone's ever really asked you how bad you were. Like, <laughs> how hard was it those first few years? Like, when you say you were bad, Kenny, I guess I don't remember because I was at so many late model races. How bad were you? How bad is bad? I was, I was so bad. I was so bad that the fans fooled me. I, I thought they were running to the to the fence to watch me go on the track. Later on, I realized they, they were running to the fence to, wa- to watch me wreck. <laughs> but, you know, you know, and that and that's what me and Dale Jr. talked about on his podcast. You know, I don't take myself real serious. You know, I have this theory that look, I'll make fun of myself so you feel comfortable. Yeah. And you know, I did not mind people watching me learn how to race dirt. I didn't I didn't care about that. That was fine. You know, I want all of you thousands of people watching me start my journey on dirt racing. However, I couldn't afford for that to happen to Dale Jr. So, you know, and we talk about this on his podcast. I, we didn't want him to learn how to race dirt in front of everybody because he would have took too much of a hit. There would have been too much fun made of him because people put him on such a high pedestal in real, you know, uh, they really, you know, I mean, he's a gift, right? So, so for me, it was a learning process in front of everybody. And for Junior, we couldn't allow him. It just couldn't happen. I like this next question for you because when I ask Mark Richards or Scott Bloomquist this or somebody who's been in the industry for 40 years, um, you get it's such a different answer because they've been, it's so many decades they've done it. You've only really been around dirt track racing 15 or 16. So in that amount of time, it's a kind of a vague question, but how much has dirt track racing changed? in 15 years since you've been in it. Now I'll let you sort of take that how you want, whether it's a technology or popularity or whatever, how much has it changed in 15 years? Well, dirt racing has changed uh, a lot and it's changed for what I call going on the road racing. Yeah. And what I mean, what I mean by that is, you know, years ago it was cool that you had a pickup truck, but your biggest thing was that, you know, open trailer, right? You know, the, the open trailer had three tire racks. Back in the day, you know, if you had three tire racks, boy, that was, that was big, you know, because you <laughs> needed all these tires. Right. So then, so then come along, you know, Lucas Oil late model series. Then come along your series. Then comes along, you know, the world of outlaws. So the biggest thing that has changed in super late model racing is the traveling touring series. You're right. And that, and that is the real reason of the invention of the controversial toter home, right? <laughs> the old toter so, home, right? <laughs> the, the le- oh, my God. If you got a toter home, home, you're yeah. wealthy. <laughs> if you have a toter home, you're wealthy. I mean, 
You know, let's go let's go back two years ago when Tim McCready wanted Eldor, right? Didn't have the Toter uh, home. It was a big deal, he, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, he you know, him winning the race, Tim McCready winning Eldor Eldora was not the story. It was that he won it <laughs> with a uh, a nice big dually and a forty foot enclosed trailer, right? Which is not cheap, that. by the way, which is also not cheap, right, right. Yeah, it's only about a sixty to eighty thousand dollar unit, you right, know. So right. um but but to me, what has changed the most in dirt racing is that the, the traveling touring series has made it to where it's very hard to book a hotel room. And came the invention of the SNS hauler, yeah. the 5150. And so teams have now invested in these toter homes so they can sleep because you cannot get a hotel room, no way, you know, on the whim. You have to book them. And, you know, and then the invention of, you know, um, what we call load sticks, right? Uh, now we can't really use scales because, you know, we're going from one race, you know, from one night to the next. And, uh, you know, you, you know, everybody makes a big deal, a big deal out of load sticks and, you know, uh, or not just the load sticks. We use those on the front, but, you know, the nickname is the smashing machine. Uh, these units are used so you can set your chassis while you're on the road, Yeah, you know, and, you know, you know, the grain scales are still awesome. You can use them, but really everything that has changed in dirt racing has happened because of going on the road, you know, going out to the wild west shootout and staying out there for damn two weeks, uh, you know, going to speed weeks and staying down there and racing seven straight nights. So for me, you know, you can talk about aerodynamics of this and, you know, springs that and rubbers that, but really, uh, when, when you just look at pictures, okay, look at pictures and that is what changed the most. When was the last time you raced a dirt late model? Uh, do you remember exactly? And, and why don't you, do you want to do it ever again or not? I'm too old to do it now, Michael, uh, you know, <laughs> So, you know, I'm 57 years old and, you know, the story is, is, has been out there for years. It's fact, you know, there's pictures, uh, my very first time in a super late model. Well, I think I ran popper buff in a warrior and I run second. And, and then the very next night I got in Schrader's Toter home and I went up to Eldora and I won the prelude do the dream right. in 2005 that's right and that was in that was in patrick shelter's car it was a cantilever the right rear spring was laying down and i looked at this thing and i counted 20 hind joints in the rear. <laughs> and i thought this car never goes straight <laughs> and i won the race i won the race and uh tony stewart comes to victor lane and he said what was that all about and i said hell i don't know it just was fast so then CJ Rayburn gives me a brand new super late model to use, right? Yeah. So I give Schrader a whole lot of money because Jeg sponsors me. And I immediately go, go to uh, Cleveland, Tennessee, and I win a really big race against Ronnie Johnson and, and Schrader. And I won that race, paid 5000 to win, whatever it was. And I'll never forget it. It was just a couple days after that big win in a super late model. And I said, I'm done. <laughs> this, is, 
this is, you know, and, and I had Eddie Petroff let me borrow a motor. And uh, I'm like, I'm 45 years old. <laughs> <laughs> well, you and, watch you watch these kids now too, right? Bobby and, and Tyler Herb. And it, it, it is a young man's thing, late model racing now, isn't it? It just, it looks tiring to me just watching these kids. It, it, it's exhausting. I, <laughs> I give those kids talks every once in a while. You know, I'm always. I'm always talking with Bobby Pierce and Gordy Gundaker and, uh, you know, Nick Hoffman. Those kids are good kids. They like me. They call me. They text me. I'm too old for them, so we don't have a lot in common. <laughs> but they, they call me and they reach out to me. And the number one thing I tell those kids all the time, you know, I'm really worried about Bobby Pierce. I'm really worried about Gordy. I'm like, guys, save your money. Yeah, that's you know, right. It's dirt. It's dirt racing. You're, you're not going to make a living at this. Don't, don't end up being a dirt dauber. And you know, they hear me and you know, and you know, you'll watch Gordy on Snapchat. He's, he's trying to make a living right now. And so I give them my wisdom. You know, you've got to make a living, you know? that's a It's a perfect segue to my next question. It's a bit personal, but I'm kind of going for it. To my naked eye, I, you don't, I mean, I'm sh- I'm trying to think of the right way to phrase this, Kenny. I don't think you make a living, as you're saying, running a dirt modified. So where does Kenny's other income come from? I'm assuming you've got this business empire that nobody knows about with a thousand rental properties and all this stuff. That's a little bit of a personal question, but I think people say, man, is Kenny making a living dirt racing? I don't think that's the case. Can you enlighten me a little bit on that or no? <laughs> <laughs> I, would lo- I would love to. And the only reason I would love to answer that question is because of the gross lies that are out oh, that, there. Right, right, right. Right. So thank you for giving me the opportunity. And I did not ask you to ask me this question. So, uh, you know, here's, here's my financial situation. I made a lot of money in NASCAR, a lot, okay? And it's nobody's business, but a lot, you know, to where, uh, you know, I'm good to go for the rest of my life. However. I cannot take that money right now at 57 years old and just start blowing it on a dirt car. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's very, very easy for me to spend 150000 a year on a modified, yeah. right? So, so you know, I, I buy a motor from Chad Mullins, and it's $26,000. You know, that, and these are just facts, right? So you, you spend $26,000 on a motor, and we know a super late model motor is fifty to sixty thousand, depending which one you buy. Uh, so I made all my money in NASCAR, but where I made my biggest hit was in real estate. Uh, I bought a lot of rental property, and I nurtured them for fifteen years. And then when I got ready to leave North Carolina and move back here, I sold them all, and then I put my money in the stock market. And then Donald Trump became president and, you know, the stock market went up well over 10,000. So I made a killing in real estate in the stock market. And now I'm invested uh, as a retired person. Uh, You know, I'm invested in mutual funds, bonds, CDs that are layered. um, And I put all my money away. Now, the money that I'm doing right now is I give a lot of motivational speeches, you know, pre-pandemic, uh, I'm a motivator. I motivate myself. Yeah. You know, I, I get depressed. I get bummed out. So 
what I do is it could be for John Deere. It could be for Coca-Cola. I go throughout the United States and I give motivational speeches to groups of thousands. There could be a thousand people, right? And I have videos made and I tell everybody, you know, that are depressed or, or, or down on their luck. And they go, how can I make it? And so I tell them my story, how I made it to NASCAR with videos. And I'm, I'm a speaker, right? So I, I, you know, work, I work for UNOH, University of Northwestern Ohio. What I do for them is I give orientation speeches. Uh, it could be in front of 200 people, parents. And I tell them, you know, hey, look, I didn't have this opportunity. You know, you know I, I had to learn how to weld in my race shop. Right. You know, these are the these are the reasons you need to go to UNOH. And every sponsor you see on my dirt car, they don't care about my dirt car. Let's be clear about that. Every sponsor you see on my dirt car, they don't care about my dirt car. They want me. And because I work it off and I help them make money. So, you know, it's like I said on, you know, my Facebook live that, you know, I did, uh, it's nobody's business, but it, it's come to fruition that if I can tell people where I made my money, it calms everybody down because <laughs> they don't know. They don't know, you know, you're, you know, you mentioned social media, your social media presence, I think has become one of the more famous things about you. You're active. You post often. You're not afraid to speak your mind. Did you ever think it would sort of take on the level of celebrity that it has? Because I think your appointment TV for a lot of people on Facebook. No, never in my life did I ever in a million years. First of all, I didn't recognize how weird I was. Okay. I, always, <laughs> I, you know, I always just thought I was me. You know, of course, my whole life, I've always had people tell me I'm different. I'm weird. And it, it wasn't really, I guess about 10 years ago, I really took, you know, the whole grasp of it. And I, I learned that it's not that I'm weird. It's just that I'm outgoing. You know, if, for example, if I walk in a room and everybody's quiet, I'm the first one to say, hi, my name's Kenny Wallace. How are you doing? Yeah. Well, other people will just, they won't even say a word. They won't even talk. And so that's why people think I'm strange because my objective in life is to make everybody feel good. I want to break the ice. And so that's what I do on social media. You know, I just, you know, I make it okay, you know, to talk about Donald Trump. I mean, you should not be embarrassed to talk about your president. That's absolutely stupid. Did you, you have know? any regrets about wading into politics at all? Because you really got, you know, I'm not say political, and I'm with you. The president's the president. It shouldn't matter. But did you have any like, oh, shit, maybe I shouldn't have done so much political stuff. Did that matter to you at all or no? Yeah. Yeah, I got too much into politics. <laughs> I don't. Re I, but but I don't regret any of it. Right? right. I don't regret any of it. Now, what I do, what I did learn about myself is that. I never cared about politics in my life. It didn't even register until Donald Trump became president because he talked like us redneck dirt racers. <laughs> you know, it, you know, you look you look up one day and you're hearing this guy talk like us, and it's like whoa. And the only thing I regret was becoming fifty four years old and then learning about politics. <laughs> you know, uh, but you know, I don't think I'll ever engage in it like I did. It became very personal to me because yeah. 
you know, I felt like Trump was putting up for us dirt racers. You know, he cared about the gas for the toter homes. You know, here, guys, you can spend $2.50 a gallon or $6 a gallon, you know. Uh, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, MVT, Mesilla Valley Transportation. You know, I'm thinking about me on tour for the Summer Nationals. You know, that's why I liked Trump, because Trump represented us racers. and it became personal, but, uh, yeah, I, I got too involved in it. It really started affecting me and, you know, I'm out of it like 95% now. <laughs> I might, you know, it, it, it ain't even worth it anymore. I, I end every one of these podcast interviews with a series of true or false questions. I'm almost to those, but I've got a few other things before I get to those. Um, a few, a few bonus dirt track questions. We're, we're eliminating Kyle Larson as an answer. You cannot use Kyle Larson. Who are the two or three best dirt track drivers on the planet right now? And I'm not letting you get away with an answer where you say 10 guys and, oh, Michael, I can't do it. It's too hard. I kind of want you to give me two or three names. Who are the two or three best dirt track drivers not named Kyle Larson on the planet? So I really like Moran, the kid, uh, Devin. Uh, he's mild-mannered. Uh, you know, it seems like he's always in and out his rides. They stop and go. It's like, he's with this team. He wins. And then all of a sudden he's with this team and he wins. I like what, I like what he does. Um, you know, just when you think he's down and out, you know, uh, he's not. And I really admire that about him. He takes care of his equipment. Um, and now on the total other end of the spectrum, I love Bobby Pierce. Um, you know, he is a family type driver. I think he performs better, you know, in his, his home situation. I do like how Bobby brings the crowd to their feet. Let's face it. We need somebody to knock his quarter panel off. I agree. Right. So we, we need Bobby Pierce to knock his quarter panel off and we need Moran to run right through the middle of the track and win. So, um, you know, those are the two. And then turbo, you know, <laughs> would be the other one because he's totally controversial. He's yeah. the bad boy. And I think we need those three drivers. Same sort of question here. And Macon, just like Kyle Larson couldn't be on your list, Macon cannot be on your list. You only get to race three dirt tracks the rest of your life. Where's Kenny Wallace going? Oh, man. Uh, well, be, because I learned to race dirt at Volusia, uh, I like Volusia. Uh, and this is crazy, but my home track, which is 10 minutes from my house, I love uh, I-55 Raceway in, in Peebley. It's a fast little quarter. It's wide. Uh, they do a good job with the dirt. Uh, you can run the top. You know, the middle wears out, but the bottom downer is by the wall. And then what I like about the pit area, it's got asphalt. You know, you're not, you're not just in mud all the time. I like the pit at, at Peebley. Uh, so, you know, th those two tracks are really – high on my radar and and I, and i'll give a track that's really not my favorite track um you know it, it's not you know to me fairberry's not one of my favorite dirt track but i gotta give it an attaboy <laughs> for for the legend that it built you know one thing i like about fairberry is you know when i talk to them and i say how much you pay your help and they say we don't pay them they're all volunteer i'm like wow you know <laughs> so i think that's the legend i think you know we all love dirt racing so much and we know help is not free anymore 
And Fairbury takes us back in time where it's a fairground to help us volunteer, you know, and Jeff and Matt Curl, we know they're brothers, one races, the other one, you know, keeps the track going. So those are my three. It would be Volusia, I-55, and Fairbury. All right, last thing before true or false, and I wanted to bring this up to you because you talk about it publicly all the time, and so do I. You and I have something in common. We were both losing our hair, and we both decided to get proactive <laughs> about it. You did the Bosley yep. thing. The actual doctor that did Brian Erlacher's hair did mine at Restore up in Chicago. I have no problem talking about it publicly. I do it all the time. Herm, we got to get these <laughs> people to not worry about it. There are solutions to this hair loss, aren't there? <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, let me make you feel better michael two two of the most famous nascar racers of all time came to me in private and and this is when i knew i was weird because <laughs> i announced it on on speed tv that hey man i spent nineteen thousand dollars on two <laughs> operations i bought like twenty thousand you know they, they transplanted yep. it you know it's my real hair so once i made it cool and i didn't care I had two drivers at the time that went into TV. They came up to me and they said, Herman, don't tell anybody, but you know, where did you get it done? So they're just all wimps, you know, and, uh, they were afraid to make fun of themselves, but, uh, yeah, uh, hell, the only reason I got hair was because, uh, you could. You that's, know? Right. that's right. My my wife teases me, Kenny. I don't know how to style it because I haven't had this much hair in a long time. She's like, "What are you doing with it?" I'm like, "I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to do." You know. So you look good. Well, I appreciate that. All right, we're gonna end this interview as we do always with true or false. I got three or four or five true or false questions for you here. You very famously pushed Dale Earnhardt to his last victory at Talladega. You also won a summer nationals race at Terre Haute. And I was there that night. You got out of the car and you said, this win is as big as pushing Dale Earnhardt to his last victory at Talladega. Is that true or false? Did you really feel that way, that that Terre Haute victory was as big as that Talladega moment? True. And that was most likely, that was a big summer nationals race. And the feature was in the daylight. Yeah. It was one of those deals in the summer where we went green flag, let's say, at 7 o'clock. Yeah. And, and what would happen was everybody that was anybody was there. You know, it was a big summer national modified race. And, um, you know, everybody was there. There was, there, I think only person was not there was maybe Mike Harrison. But what happened is, is uh, Justin Algar took off in the lead. And we were all on each other's butts, and there was a mean cushion, real mean one, and you really couldn't run it. But Justin, with his open-wheel background, he was running it, and sure enough, he jumped it down to one and two, and I, and I took the lead, and then like three laps later, he blew up, and it was it was a special race to win. So that's true. You mentioned Mike Harrison. So my next true or false is about him. And I give Hoffman shit all the time. I love Nick Hoffman, but I always joke. I say, Hoffman, you're putting around the bottom. This Harrison's ripping the cushion. I love watching Harrison. So true or false, Mike Harrison is the best dirt, or excuse me, Mike Harrison is the best dirt modified driver in America. I just want you to say true so I can get get after Hoffman. True. It is true that Mike Harrison is by far the most talented modified racer of all modified series <laughs> in the world, not the United States, but the world. Mike Harrison can do things with a modified. He here, Mike Harrison is the Dale Earnhardt senior. They should put a, they, 
Harrison should play in his car black and put a three on it. <laughs> I'm going to send that clip to Hoffman right there. I'm sending it straight to him. <laughs> uh, true or false? Kevin Gundaker changed your diapers. True or false? Uh, 50-50. <laughs> <laughs> he says true. You know, yeah, I would, I would say it's, you know, he, he took care of me when I was a kid. Okay. All right. Uh, we'll, we'll go with a, a sort of on that one. Uh, true, right. true or false, your brother, and I'm not going to say which one, speaking of Kevin Gundaker, used to build bombs with Kevin Gundaker to see how far they could make the sewer lids fly. In fact, they once attempted to blow one sewer lid so high so it could get on the Lambert International Airport radar. Is that true or false? 110% true, accurate, <laughs> not even an exaggeration. They took a trash bag and took an acetylene torch and filled it, filled it up. And um, it's not a long story, but let's just put it this way. They thought the torch was out, so they went back to fill it up more. And the torch had like this little eighth-inch flame coming out of it. It blew up in front of Rusty Wallace and Kevin Gundaker's face. Kevin and Rusty ended up in the hospital, and it was very serious. They were blind. They everything was burnt up and they survived to joke about it, but at the time it was deadly. Uh, 110% true, not just true. Yeah, I even got some background on that, so I appreciate that. Uh, Kenny, one thing I wanted to leave you with before we finish I always talk to friends and family uh, with people, and I, I have a quote that someone told me that I wanted to give to you. This is about you from someone that's very close to you, and they said. It's not that Kenny has a bad rap from anyone, but I think a lot of people look at him and say, you know, he just does these things for TV and for social media. But if you really know Kenny Wallace, you know that's not only who he is all the time, but that same person is one of the kindest, nicest, sweetest guys you will ever meet. And if you know him and he trusts you, he will literally do anything for you. Hell, he'd do anything for anyone. Kenny Wallace is one of the best people I have ever met. That is someone who's very close to you. What do you think when you hear that? I'm tearing up because uh, because it, it is it's accurate and uh, you know I just it, it it it's hard on me or hard on anybody when people don't know anything. You know, uh, so yeah, that means the world to me, and that's very emotional for me, and that's true. And I really, really appreciate that because I am the same all the time. I, I mean, I am. I'm the same all the time, all the time. I, I never put on a show. It's just me. I don't even know. I don't even know how to put on a show. <laughs> yeah, that's really that's really cool, and I appreciate that. One bonus thing I'll I'll, I'll bring to you too, and I I bet you can guess who said this. I, I asked one of your other good friends who I've mentioned in this interview. I'll just tell you it was Schrader. I said Schrader, if you were going to interview Wallace, what's one question you'd ask him? And he'd say, Oh boy, Michael. He goes, Ask him this. Why does he think everybody wants to hear what he has to say all the time? And he laughed in his little <laughs> in his little Schrader. Well, <laughs> well, yeah. You know, you know what, you know. That's Kenny. Right, that's Schrader, right. Kenny is one of the greatest race car drivers of all time, and I'm always on him because I don't like it that Kenny demeans himself. He'll, he'll, win one of the bi- he'll win one of the biggest races of all time, and he'll go, well, just don't mean much. I'm like, why are you like that, you know? So, uh, and we do a lot together, and, and he don't want to talk, 
you know, so he'll say, you talk. <laughs> so, so, so I'm like, yep, I'll talk. I'll go ahead. I try to make him feel good or comfortable. And, uh, yeah, so that that's just Kenny. Well, Kenny, I really appreciate it. Um, you know, you gave me a solid 45 minutes. I know you guys got to get on down the road. I cannot tell you thank you enough. Um, I, I really appreciate your time. And uh, have safe travels today. Get where you're going. And uh, next time we're at the track, we'll catch up. Does that sound good? Thank you for letting me tell my story. I appreciate, I appreciate your question about uh, my financial <laughs> uh, situation because I feel like that there's so many people that will listen to this that they will just chill out, you know. Uh, too many people in dirt racing worried about other people's money, and we need to start letting the toter home thing go and just letting money go. I mean, just everybody calm down and just everybody do their own deal. All right, Kenny, be safe. All right, thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Do you want the deal of the century? I have the deal of the century. If you buy a car or truck from Bomb Chevy Buick in Clinton, Illinois, new or used, you get a lifetime subscription to Dirt on Dirt, and Flow Racing comes with it. They are truly the friendliest people ever in the car or truck buying arena I've ever met, and my next car that I buy is going to be bought there. I mean that, it is. Check them out at bombchevybuick.com. That's B-A-U-M, bombchevybuick.com. They're the best in the business, and you get a lifetime subscription with the purchase. That's literally a several thousand dollar value. Check them out today at Bomb Chevy Buick. Thank you to Kenny Wallace. I, I really did enjoy that. And I, and I can admit this. I have no problem admitting this. I think I might have had the wrong perception of him a little bit before I started really researching him and dove into talking to him. He, he is, in fact, a very genuine guy. I think a lot of people think he's putting on, but the more you get to know him, that's really who he is. And in a world of people trying to be something that they are not, he isn't trying to be anything but himself. And no matter what you think about that, I can really appreciate that. I say that about Tyler Herb all the time, and I mean the same thing about Kenny Wallace. I've already lined up my guest uh, for next my next Rigsby Report podcast, which will air later this month, as RJ5, Ronnie Johnson, to me one of the most romantic names in Dirt Late Model history, certainly one of the best interviews, and I think uh, one of the best people. He's going to enjoy, uh, he's going to join me here soon, uh, as, as most people just call him Five in the Southeast. RJ Five will be on the show, the Rigsby Report. Don't forget also, Flow Racing Night in America kicks off March 25th, live from 411 that night. Now a $20,000 to win race. Things are really shaping up roster-wise for that 10-race miniseries we got. I'm very happy with where it's at. And just in general, if you're a Dirt Late Model fan, keep it locked to DOD. We've got Lucas coverage, Outlaws coverage, our video casts, our podcasts. Our writers are getting ready to launch a new podcast. I'm excited about that. Daily coverage, breaking news. We still continue after 14 years to have it all at DOD. So until next time, thanks for joining us on the Rigsby Report, RJ5, later this month.